Welcome to On Strategy Showcase and to our best of travel and tourism series. I'm Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. As always, you can follow me on LinkedIn and click the follow button in the top right-hand corner of your podcast platform to keep up to date on all of our new episodes. Our 2023 sponsor kit is available right on our homepage. You'll find details on our international marketer and agency side audiences and all of our sponsorship opportunities at onstrategyshowcase.com. On our site, you can also see the creative work associated with this and all of our episodes for free. Episode uh, two of our Best of Travel and Tourism series focuses on Expedia. Many may forget, but Expedia was started inside Microsoft back in 1996 and later spun off. So it is among the first online travel sites. With the category fixated on driving transactions and promoting deals, it's easy for individual brands to lose their brand distinctiveness and their way. Do enough of us really care which of the major sites we book our trips on? And in order to create preference, what does a site have to stand for or offer us? And these are tough questions. At the center of this new campaign is Expedia's shift from being travel-focused to traveler-focused, a shift away from marketing destinations to marketing the moments and feelings that great travel experiences make possible for us. The early launch phase of this campaign was built around a line found in almost every deck about young adults, which says, which says they favor experiences over possessions. I first saw the campaign during the Super Bowl in 2022, arguably one of the biggest gaudy showcases of over-the-top consumerism that exists. It was the Ewan McGregor spot that asked whether we look back on our lives and regret the things we didn't buy or the places we didn't go. I guess when thought about in the context of emerging from the pandemic, when many of us had overcompensated for being stuck inside by buying all kinds of unnecessary stuff, it made sense to contrast that with what many of us now needed, which was to get the hell out again and have experiences in the real world. That led to the new Expedia made-to-travel platform. Joining me for the introduction of this week's episode is June Kent. Uh, she is director in the consulting division of Kantar in London. Welcome, June. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Uh, you know, one of the questions, particularly when we're talking about a brand such as, as, as Expedia, is have the ways we plan and purchase leisure travel changed much in the last five to 10 years? It, you know, taking COVID out of the equation, how are, are most of us doing it these days? So I think what we would all recognize is that the continued digitization of the travel industry has accelerated. That really goes without saying, I think. But what's also changed is the proliferation of sources that are involved when an, any individual is planning a holiday. So social media increasingly in the last five, 10 years has played a huge role in travel inspiration. Um, but it also makes it harder for people to know who and what to trust. And I think that's why so many consumers are drawn to online sites or platforms that make comparisons easier and provide an element of re reassurance as well. When we think about uh, online travel agent sites such as, Ex as Expedia, what are the advantages that these sites uh, offer consumers, both practically and emotionally? And, and is that 
advantage fully understood in terms of the distinction between the different types of sites that are available? The practical advantages, I think, are clear. Making comparisons is easier. You have additional flexibility in many cases. You can have everything in one place. But of all of those different advantages, I think what is becoming and will become increasingly important as the cost of living crisis affects so many countries around the world is that ability for consumers to have that full transparency of what's included to enable them to plan their spend in one place with some security as well in in many cases if something unexpected happens. So that's, you know, practical advantages. And emotionally, it's about trust and reassurance. So people are outsourcing that discovery and the due diligence you put into a holiday. So you're putting that trust in a platform to do that legwork for you to help you find what you're looking for. It's so much about gaining reassurance from other travellers' experience as well. With all of that misinformation out there, consumers are looking for ways to cut through the noise, and the OTA sites are a great way to do that. I think for, for lots of consumers, holidays are a big investment, and that's a financial investment, but it's also a massive emotional emotional investment as well. So anything that can reduce the stress and heighten the anticipation is a real benefit and a real unlock for consumers. So social sites, you mentioned earlier that social sites and social media are becoming a great source for inspiration. Yeah. Are many, are are new brands, maybe little challenger brands that are coming up in the space, are they, are they making their way in or using social as a way to sort of steal share? Absolutely. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about these challenger brands is they're really kind of tech first. So, They're using data in a way that maybe traditional sites are not used to using or traditional travel agents are not used to using. So every interaction is is very direct and they are gaining that that knowledge and understanding of their consumers and their personal needs in a much more sophisticated manner. And that makes them really powerful. So um, we see that in travel industry, but we see that across all industries as well, that you just have that much closer connection with the consumer. But there's a risk there too. So as I mentioned before, this kind of anxiety, this anticipation of the holiday, I think there is still a lot of trust to be gained. And it's, you know, it's a big investment. And what the, you know, the bigger name sites do is provide that kind of reassurance, that trust. And you can see, you know, all of the reviews on there and you feel that extra confidence that you're making a good decision. Um, And that is the hard work that I think those challenger brands will really need to move the dial on. Thank you, June. We'll uh, we'll have you back on other episodes in the series. We appreciate your time today. Looking forward to speaking to you in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much. Thanks to Kantar for supporting this travel and tourism series. Home to Brand Z, Insights 2030, and other key industry reports, Kantar is the world's leading marketing data and analytics company. With Kantar, you gain a complete, unique, and rounded understanding of how people think, feel, and act globally and locally in over 90 markets. By combining the deep expertise of its people, data resources, innovative analytics, and tech, Kantar helps clients understand people and inspire growth. To learn more, visit kantar.com. That's K-A-N-T-A-R.com. Now back to the show. So here are Marshall Ball, VP Brand Strategy at Expedia, and Isaiah Langawe, Chief Strategy Officer at Anomaly in Los Angeles. Enjoy.
So it's great to have both of these guys here. Welcome, guys. Thanks for uh, your time today. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's a pleasure. We're big fans of the show. Yeah, uh, long-time listeners, uh, first-time interviewers. So yeah, very excited to, uh, to hop into some of the questions, Fergus. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm excited about it too, and I really appreciate having uh, Expedia on the show. Uh, I've really enjoyed the work when we were kind of shaping this travel series. It was always on my radar, so I'm really excited to get this time to talk about it. So I look at, I look at, because I, I think it's, I don't think we, sh we should assume that people realize the scope of the Expedia Group uh, portfolio. Um, tell us, tell us, I mean, for example, within Expedia, there's Travelocity, there's Orbits, there's Hotwire, there's Verbo, there's What If in Australia, there's Travago. There's a lot of brands in there. And of course, there's Expedia. You guys must sort of hate each other because you do you feel like you're competing for the same brands or do you feel that each of these brands serves a distinct uh, audience community? That's that's a great question. Um, I think part of what attracted people to this business at this time is that the portfolio of brands is undergoing a, or has undergone um, a pretty massive transformation. Uh, you're right. This is a, a business that was largely built on the back of acquisitions. But I think... Um, what you're seeing now is an ambition from the company to start simplifying and streamlining that portfolio around a handful of brands that are going to fulfill specific needs for travelers um, or perhaps occupy a specific place in a local culture. Um, so yes, we have a number of those brands, but by and large, the portfolio and what we're focused on is distilled down to three big ones, Hotels.com, Verbo, and Expedia. Um, so yes, we we certainly want to make those brands resonant, um, but we also want to tie the portfolio together in a coherent way for for customers moving forward, particularly as we enter into um, uh, 2023 uh, this year and um, and the introduction of our new loyalty program that will ultimately span across uh, all of those brands in the portfolio. So what do you what do you think, Isaiah? In terms of, I mean, you guys have been working with the brand. Um, is is part of what you guys had to be conscious of when you were developing the work is sort of not sort of stepping on the foot of other brands in the portfolio or were, or were the lines pretty clear for you there's a there's a very active and and defined portfolio strategy that i i, I give full credit to the expedia team um and, and and marshall especially for for defining so i think we were able to understand that expedia had a specific subset of travelers um, for whom that value proposition could resonate with, um, which we'll touch upon as we as we get into to, to some of the work that was developed. But um, I, I think what what helped us a lot was you know you have the, the the huge reach of something like Expedia Group. You have this umbrella of brands, and you realize that each of the brands were deliberate in 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 that they serve distinct types of travelers. Um, and and I think with Expedia, with with brand Expedia, uh, you know, and 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 this particular assignment, I think for us, um, the the clues about the kind of travel we were going after um, were were part of our big unlock um, in, in in getting to make to travel. So I, I think for us, it was never a problem about um, stepping into uh, you know other swerving into other lanes, if you will, um, because of just some of the very clear kind of segmentation stuff that happens behind the scenes at at Expedia Group. So, so Marshall, um, I have to ask you. So, when you look at those three big brands, um, 
how do you sort of look at each as being distinctive in terms of their emphasis or distinctive from each other in their strategies? Sure. So uh, hotels, for example, um, it's a it's a slightly simpler offering than something like Expedia, in large part because you're selling what's in the name. Um, people tend to be booking simpler trips. Um, they tend to be booking uh, closer to the date of um, uh, the date of the stay, um, etc. So hotels, you know, that's really serving a specific need, um, kind of a simpler need, if you will, although no less important. Verbo, for example, um, we've touched a lot on in the market how that brand is trying to facilitate um, people coming together uh, in these whole home vacation rental environments where they're taken care of and and they have some assurance that the uh, experience is going to go as they expect. Um, Expedia is a little bit different from both of those. It's more complex. It's our flagship full-service OTA. Um, and ultimately, it's endeavoring to try to make all the complexities in travel far easier to navigate. Um, through a variety of different planning tools that are all kind of tacking towards these ideas of transparency, assurance, and value. Um, so for us, Expedia is that flagship. It's what we want you to think about when you think about those big, complex trips, um, the things that um, historically, you know, even dating uh, back to before the internet days, you would have gone to someone to help you plan and coordinate, someone to help you facilitate. We want travelers to see Expedia as a brand that understands them and ultimately is going to support them whenever they decide to step out of their front door and venture out into the world. So I, I understand is, is OTA is just because we hate acronyms on this show. OTA is online travel agent. That's right. It's our it's the category's um, way to reference uh, online travel agents. So Isaiah, let's talk about where this all began for you guys for Anomaly. When did the relationship start, and and well, was it a pitch? Uh, no, I, I think, and, and Marshall, you can kind of throw in on, 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 on this, but I think it was 2021. Um, you know, I, you can, and I think there's a lot of us who don't, you know, just the, 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 the fuzziness of coming out of, um, that early stage of pandemic. And, and I think a lot of conversations, um, started happening, uh, between, um, some of the team over at Expedia and some of the team at Anomaly. And, um, this is definitely a story of how organic conversations help to build more momentum and help to, you know, uh, codify and define the relationship. So um, not a pitch as such, but definitely um, a, a reunion for some type for, for some kinds of people for some types of people on the team, but also just kind of uh, you know finally a moment at least for people who admired each other on 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 both sides of the relationship, um, a moment to finally, you know, get together and 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 work together. Marshall, so what was it, what was the what were the problems you were trying to solve for? One of the biggest problems we had was that uh the brand, well the brands, but particularly Expedia, um, was well known in most of our key markets. Um, you know, it was the original uh online travel agency dating back to the the 90s. Um it had some pretty distinctive assets in the past that people actually still recalled. Um, uh, yeah, and yet the brand didn't really mean much to people anymore. Um, by and large, most of the OTAs were, were viewed um, as the same. And we were really looking for a partner to come in and help us think through what our point of view was going to be and what our promise was going to be in the world. And um, what types of um, uh, hallmarks did we want the brand to have um, now 
coming out of the pandemic, um, seeing as though that was going to be a fresh, a fresh start for us. Was it brands or brand? Were we looking at it from a portfolio perspective or just Expedia? We were looking at it for for um, for all of the brands in the portfolio that were going to be priorities for us moving forward. But the one that we had to start with, um, and the one we we began the conversation uh, um, uh, with Anomaly for was was Expedia. So um, Isaiah, you guys get the ask, and it probably it sort of probably manifests over the. The, the course of a couple of conversations or a number of conversations, how do you go about solving for the ask? What did you What did you guys begin to do from a strategy perspective? There's the There's the old saying: a problem well defined is a problem half solved, right? And and I think we had the real benefit here of of that. We had a really really clear brief um, that was built around you know we are making all these changes to our product, um, and you know we are looking to. Um, create more meaningful differentiation. Um, and so what was interesting for us was it became a real question um, less about uh, that we needed more uh, qualitative or quantitative understanding of the consumer. Because you can imagine at the time, there was a lot of literature and a lot of data around, you know, the anxieties that people were feeling, you know, uh, taking these first steps post-COVID to you know to get out there into the world so i think the audience the audience insight stuff was actually um not where we started to dig into i think for us the big thing was actually really trying to understand the category and how everyone was 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 thinking about it and then also um taking a look at the brand and having really interesting conversations with you know with the people with some of the people who had been working on the brand for a long time and and, and some of the new faces that had joined so i think for us you know the, the category audit was the most revealing because that's where we you know as we think about otas we there was nobody who was really um digging into the emotion or any of the higher order benefits of this category you had a category that in reaction to you know, um, an opportunity for people to travel more was still very oriented around functional um, benefits delivered in a very functional way, um, primarily through functional media uh, like performance. And and so I think there was, um, for us, the big aha there was the, you know, the opportunity for the shape of the response. How do we uh, go about delivering what was going to be some really interesting new product news but do it in a more emotional way um, and reclaim our leadership by being unafraid to claim some of the higher order um, white space that, that that was that was kind of being left on the table by everybody else. So Marshall, when you enter into these conversations, are you expecting a sort of a significant sort of planning review? Or did you sort of have in your mind the scope that you wanted to keep it within? Like, for example, with Isaiah saying, it wasn't really about cons- understanding necessarily qual and quant in all these markets around the world, because we have to remember this is an international um, um, campaign just for the listener. How, how, how are you thinking about it in your mind? Did you, did you have a good sense of what you wanted and therefore it didn't require six months, maybe just required a couple of weeks? Yeah, that's a great question. We, we were actually, I think, most curious in how we could find a a well what felt to us like some universal truth or some universal appeal at the time because you know by and large most people in the world had experienced this pandemic that we were coming out of and so as we first um 
started to dip our toes in communications. We wanted to speak to the condition that people were going through and their ambition for travel. So you're right. We, we didn't need to necessarily go really deep on as many of the, you know, I guess audience segments or international um, needs. Our first order of business was going to be to find um, that universal appeal and the thing that ultimately we could go out into the world with, but that would be enduring uh, over the long haul and a stable of what what the brand could be. And, and what's interesting about that is that while there is that sort of universal experience happening at that time, I've got to think that you were conscious of the fact that once we emerged from it, that that universal experience or expectation might be different. So you needed to be cautious that you weren't as rooted in the emotion of that moment as you were in something that would last. Is that fair to say, Isaiah? It caused us to think about, as, as Marshall says, the universality of travel and the emotions associated with it. And I think we definitely resisted any temptation as we thought about the roots and the truth of this brand to, you know, um, to, to avoid anything that felt like a coming out celebration high point. What's interesting about, about this campaign is it's a sort of a blend of performance marketing and brand. It's not a pure play brand campaign because it's, it's, it's very much rooted in a strong call to action. Um, tell us about that because for many people, that would be a challenge because you, you feel you have to be dragged into the details, but you also want to do something that's going to have some longer term, uh, long lasting impact in terms of the brand. Um, tell us, talk, talk with us about what exactly you were trying to achieve um, from a call to action perspective. And what was that business issue you needed to address in addition to the brand? Yeah, we're, we're always um, interested in finding ways to elevate something that is, you know, core to the product and ultimately what the benefit is to the person using it on the other side. And I think this campaign does a really good job of helping uh, travelers um, feel that we understand them and we understand what travel is truly like and the joys that come along with it. Um, and then also serving them a little bit of information about how we help them go about uh, finding that joy. So something as simple as or dry um, potentially as price protection, um, we want to lean into what that price protection ultimately unlocks for you on the other side. And so the work is trying to do both of those two things. Isaiah, going back to this uh, this defined scope of activity, take us inside what was happening in terms of you get the scope, you you have a sense of of wanting to understand the category, as you said. Were there meetings where you guys were getting together every week with the client? Was there was it was it super casual? Was there a formality to it? There was no qual and quant research. I think is what you were saying earlier. So were there yeah. just a series of presentations that that basically got you from a macro down to a micro perspective on this? Yeah, um, I, I think for us it was a um, you know you're you're talking about a, a a global team of both client and agency that was working on Pacific time and uh, European time, um, which by the way is one of the harder <laughs> times to time zones to reconcile. But I think. You're for right. us, <laughs> but I think for right, Marshall. Um, uh, <laughs> but I think for us, um, it, it was a, a a very consistent drumbeat of of intentional meetings. You know, I think for us, it was definitely a sprint. 
because we were looking to, you know, very quickly start setting up these brand fundamentals. Um, and at the same time, you have a team that's distributed all around the world and you want to not only, you know, build the chemistry and rapport between, you know, new forms of new teams of people, but also make decisions at the same time. And I think what helped was, you know, um, each, each one of these conversations had stimulus that the agency would bring um, that would allow us to make different decisions um, based on some of the definitions we needed. You know, I, I think strategically, we definitely needed to articulate what shifts are we looking for? So, you know, as, as, as Marshall described earlier, this brand isn't short for unaided awareness. So it's known, but what we know is we need to get to it being distinctly known. We need to help people understand that Expedia is this multi-product, you know, online travel agent that has more than just, you know, an, an, another price point on a single uh, kind of product. That, and, and I think one of our bigger unlocks was this idea of moving from being travel focused to being traveler focused. And I think a lot of the emotion and the higher order stuff that you see in Made to Travel is born of, of that particular shift, which, you know, came out of some of these sessions. Um, another one was just, you know, we know we have products, you know, there's, there's functional product things, as you say, that, you know, that um, may be dry if left in, in, in the wrong hands. But I think for us, we don't, we, we also didn't want to create a whole bunch of work that was just um, storytelling about travel that didn't actually land the point of difference. So I think for us, the idea was like to move from this functional product, uh, you know, potential approach to product with heart. How do you find human ways to talk about the product? So, Marshall, what do you remember from that time and those meetings? Oh, they were uh, just great conversations, I'd say. Um, you know, at, to Isaiah's point, we were all running incredibly quickly across multiple time zones. Um, and the brand for the, or I should say the company for the first time uh, was starting to, uh, I guess, pull internal resources, including things like research into um, one consolidated view. So we had some information, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't, um, as, uh, perhaps apples to apples across the, the portfolios you you'd expect. And so those conversations for us were really fruitful because we could interrogate things openly and honestly, and figure out which things were important to keep, which ones were important or maybe less so I should say. Um, and so for me, it was the open candor and the dialogue and the debate and um, responding to the information we had, but then being confident or together as a team uh, and going towards a direction where maybe we had less information. So, so I just recall the candor of those, of those meetings and the exploration and um, the freedom to have, to have open dialogue. So for anybody who's ever worked on an international brand, the problem that can happen when you're working on international strategy is that the brand is at different phases. The business is at different phases in different markets and has different reputations, sometimes different offerings. It almost seems like the pandemic became that equalizer that brought you all to that same global moment um, that allowed you to create a brand platform that worked, or we'll talk about if it's working everywhere, but it seems that it, it was something you decided on could work everywhere. That's not easy to do, Marshall, right? No, it's not. But but you're right in that the moment of time allowed us that opportunity to have a reset. Um, so we could find a solid foundation that uh, would be similar market to market no matter what. 
and draw from the same universal truths, but be applied differently where it needed to be over time. Um, so that that window, that moment, um, in retrospect, ended up being a fantastic, fantastic opportunity for us. And as the work is evolving, we are we are adapting and applying it differently um, yeah, around the world, and uh, and even sometimes differently um, depending on the types of products or features we want to discuss. But but it's all still rooted and tethered to the same the same core ideas. Isaiah, you've used the term good uncertainty. What do you mean by embracing the good uncertainty? When you're traveling with Expedia, you can kind of embrace the good uncertainty, which is spontaneity, serendipity, and a lot of the, the kind of moments that you kind of see, um, you know, in the work. And, and that, you know, the big, the reason you can do that is because Expedia product-wise handles the bad uncertainty, which is the unexpected costs um the unmet expectations that sort of stuff and so i think you know that's where you're able to kind of like look at a word like uncertainty which you know as we know has colored the way that people think about travel has kind of either caused people not to want to travel or overthink travel um and i think you know it's been able we've been able then to position expedia again as this multi-product travel um online travel agent you know as 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 the one place where they're able to you know, not have to worry about those things so that they can see the fullest ex- the fullest experience that you can have in travel, which is, you know, as Marshall said, sometimes it's quiet moments, sometimes it's your kids fighting, um, but they are all part of um, what you don't miss out on because you're actually getting to be present. So the, the brand platform that's been used around the world uh, is made to travel. And um, and it's also being used as the tagline. What is it that you want made to travel to mean? Well, we we loved that made to travel spoke to uh, what we believe to be a, a universal truth, um, which is that we're all we're all made to travel. I mean, you hear uh, you hear um, any story, and a story begins and ends with someone ultimately you know stepping out of their comfort zone. Um, Human progress is built on travel in many ways. Um, travel is in the zeitgeist in terms of uh, in terms of where we want to push to explore uh, push to explore as a species. Um, so we love that made to travel really spoke to people and it spoke to the truth um, of a traveler. But of course, it also spoke to the truth of us as a business. Um, we are the original online travel agent. We are the first company to do what we do at scale. And um, that overlap, um, I think, signaled to people, at least we felt, um, that yes, we understood the traveler, and uh, we ultimately wanted to support them, and we were built um, specifically to do just that. So yeah. I love, I love the, uh, did you want to add anything to that, Isaiah? Yeah, I, I think just to, to Marshall's point, and you know, it's like, a, it was also just as a leader, it, it kind of acted as a reminder, right? That that a thing that's true to all of us is that there's this urge to explore the unknown. Um, and I think, uh, you know, as Marshall said, what what it beautifully also uh, illustrated was the, you know, and we talk a lot about duality here, right? Like the duality of uncertainty in the work, but just like the duality of this line is that it's about humans. Uh, it's about, uh, you know, the human truth and travelers, and then also about this traveler company that's been set up to, you know, be able to um, help people do that more. So I guess that's where this sort of what I, what I would sort of define as the theme of the work, which we're going to start talking about now, 
which seems to be sort of experiences over possessions, particularly in the early uh, launch work. Um, is that a fair way of sort of making the connection between made to travel, which is about new experiences, it's about human experiences, and then you you sort of made that comparison to uh, that observation in human culture about the fact that many times we're 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 sort of emphasizing our possessions over our life experiences. Yeah, I I think that's a that that's a an accurate way to capture. I think for us, what was you know very you know true of that zeitgeist again thinking about that you know 2021 moment and you know a lot of people bought a bunch of stuff and brought it into their homes um but also yeah. at the <laughs> but also at the same time you know once all the bikes started collecting dust um you know th there were also really touching stories of people kind of you know reconnecting with not just themselves but also you know their family or their their, their and their loved ones and those in their community um so i think for us there was kind of a an interesting kind of cultural uh, tension in in the sense that we were reacquainted at the same time with our consumerism, but also, you know, reacquainted with our own communities. And, and, and I think um, for us gave us um, a really interesting starting point as we started to think about made to travel and creatively what that could mean. Um, and in bringing, you know, bringing that another universal truth to bear, which is, the, you know, that in life, you know, what matters are the experiences we have and not the things that we buy. There are many things that you can buy out there, of course, but, um, the th you know, a, a thing that's built to last are the kind of experiences and memories that you're able to kind of get through this, um, you know, through, through, through the things that we sell. And I think not just interesting for the creators working on it, but I just think a really wonderful reminder of the purpose of, of, of a company like Expedia Group. And, and I think, you know, that's where a lot of the, um, a lot of the fun, really, we we started to have uh, on on developing the work. The first work launched on um, uh, what's known here in the U.S. as Black Friday, which is the day after Thanksgiving. It's in late November. It's one of the 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 first days for holiday discounts after Thanksgiving in the U.S. And I'm I was curious why you launched on that day with the campaign. Were you normally active at that time of the year? Uh, were you targeting a certain audience at that point? It was it was a, a new behavior we were we were tapping into um, this year. I mean, we touched on the the idea of experiences over things, and of course, nowhere is that more concentrated than Black Friday. Um, and, uh, and and so we felt like it was a moment to start dipping our toes into this type of messaging and putting forward this idea. Um, and of course, we were able to to complement that with. Um, work that allowed people to to action on that idea. I think at the time, not only did we introduce uh, some work into the world through advertising, but we also put one of our largest um, uh, uh, promotional campaigns um, out the door um, to signal to people that that Black Friday just doesn't have to be about TVs. It can be about the things that you um, see on those TVs and the places that you you want to go or you're inspired to go. So, just for the listener, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop the spot in now. But what what you're seeing in this spot is just a television, a wide, large screen TV, locked in, and you kind of zoom in towards it. There's a beautiful beach shot, and and then the spot begins, but nothing beyond the just seeing this television. This Black Friday, do you want a TV? Or do you want the place on the TV? Um, so um, then in 
during the Super Bowl, which is in late January, early February of 2022, which is like two months later, the it seems like the main campaign initiative kicked off with the Ewan Gregor work. Tell us about that spot, uh, Isaiah. What what were you trying to achieve with that, and what was it sort of a signal of? Super Bowl became a really um, you know unique moment for us to um, put our our statement of intent out there, our point of view. Um, at enduring one of the you know biggest stages for consumerism, um, and you know used it as an opportunity for us to again just like the you know do you want to buy the TV or what's on the TV you know use it as a moment to say there's a lot of different commercial messages during a moment like this um, you know and you know or and, and you and you can kind of look into them and, and and buy them or you can you know buy what's more important uh, in terms of some of the travel experiences that you know. Um, can last a lifetime. Stuff. We love stuff. And there's some really great stuff out there. But I doubt that any of us will look back on our lives and think, I wish I'd bought an even thinner TV. Found a lighter light beer. Or had an even smarter smartphone. Do you think any of us will look back in our lives and regret the things we didn't buy? Or the places we didn't go? So, Marshall, coming out of the Super Bowl, then there's a series of spots that begin, um, some of them voiced by Ewan McGregor, continuing to be voiced by him, and then Selma Hayek came in uh, as a voiceover on other spots. Lemons. Lemons, lemons, lemons. Look how nice they are. The moment you become an Expedia member, you can instantly start saving on your travels. So you can go and see all those lovely, lemony lemons. And never wonder if you got a good deal. Because you did. Plates. 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 There's somehow no better way to travel this place than on a plate. And when you add price drop protection, Expedia pays you back if your flight becomes cheaper. So you can taste your way through every single plate and never wonder if you found a good deal. Because the good deal found you. Tell us about the creative theme, because lemons, nothing, bubbles, sand, passion fruit, these are different, each of these are individually different spots. What was it, what was it about that? I mean, there's got to be a creative strategy that was laid out to you about how we're going to execute on these. And, and what are, or what is the way that you think about those spots? I see them as coming from the same, the same core truth that was expressed uh, through the point of view in that Super Bowl work with Ewan. Now, that being said, it it is a departure in terms of how we're introducing people to um, uh, to that body of work uh, or the world that is seen through that body of work. Um, but again, same core truth. I mean, the work is highlighting things that you typically don't associate with possessions or things you own. Um, you referenced uh, bubbles, sand, um, uh, passion fruit. Uh, there's one about plates. Um, but yeah. the work is referring to those things, again, not, not as things you own, um, but things that uh, you can experience and, uh, and see for yourself differently, depending on where in the world you travel. We felt that that work 
helped give you a greater appreciation for life. And, and ultimately that's something that only, only, uh, only travel can do. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. It really is something. As an Expedia member, you can save up to 30% when you add a hotel to your flight. So you can have a bit more money to do even less. Because you've got a whole lot of nothing to do. And absolutely nowhere to be. It's interesting to me because it, this is something that on our show it's been talked about a lot. And there's a lot of talk about it, I think, in the industry overall. Is the... Um, the desire for marketers to see immediate short-term results from work and that, um, and I'm just curious, is that an expectation that you guys have that you want to see not only immediate sort of brand lift or shift in perception, but you want to see, you want to see clicks, you want to see transaction. Do you hold this work responsible for that? And, and, and what sort of a transaction are you looking for? Well, you of course want to see a um, some halo effect from the work you put into the world, um, right? Uh, but we know as well as anybody that somebody who is entering into the travel category may see your uh, communications and not actually decide to buy for a, quite a long time. Exactly. Um, so we don't hold ourselves to account on that, um, say, immediate click basis, but. Um, we of course would love to see greater efficiencies in the channels that are trying to um, uh, capture intent that people are signaling in the market. So, so yes, we, we hope that there is some halo impact, um, but we're not holding the work to account for uh, immediate clicks. Um, the good news for us is that we, we are starting to see some, some pretty significant impact from the body of work that's been in, in the market. Um, and so while we believe, yes, it's, it's helping us build the brand over time and make it distinctive and make it meaningful and stand out in, in a category that is a fairly crowded category. Um, we are also seeing, um, we're also seeing our loyalty program, for example, um, become more active. We're starting to see more active app users. Um, and ultimately that's translating into revenue growth. So, so we're ecstatic about how those two things are working together, the, the long-term and the short-term. And just for the listener, I, I've got to assume that um, this this work isn't living in a vacuum. It's supported by other click-generating type uh, performance-oriented communications, I assume, that are happening underneath it, right? That's that's correct. Yeah. yeah so it is it is um, one part of, a, of a, a, a large constellation of work that is in the market at any given time. So the last uh, question I wanted to touch on was... Um, Again, in the industry, in the media industry, everybody's a buzz about uh, performance and brand marketing in terms of the spend levels against each of those two buckets. And the big story in, in the travel category was Airbnb when they made shifts in terms of their the emphasis. They didn't stop doing performance marketing. They just sort of shifted the ratio of performance to brand and have been very vocal about their reasoning for doing that and their basic for the listener the basic reason was they felt that even when they dropped their performance marketing media spend levels people were still coming to their site and roughly 70 percent of their traffic goes direct to their site rather than through search etc did you guys see any familiarity in what they were sort of saying in terms of yeah we kind of see that too or 
I, I suppose the question is, have you guys looked at that balance uh, in your own work? Well, we're, we're constantly evaluating that balance, but there is a ton of nuance in that discussion. And it's really hard to, I think, for anyone to have a full understanding of, um, of you know, the opportunities or challenges that those types of moves create. Um, you know, I think it's important to remember that every brand uh, has different a different starting point. Um, they have different mm -hmm. legacies. They have different um, headwinds and tailwinds. And so, you know, the thing that we always keep in mind is that while we want to be aware of what our competitors are doing, we ultimately have to focus on what's best for us in the moment um, and ensuring that we are positioning ourselves for future growth while keeping the business stable and healthy today. Um, and again, we're really pleased with the progress we're making in developing brands that people do want to seek out proactively um, and that will ultimately return to time and time again for a variety of reasons. Um, but, uh, but you know, are we, are we um, always seeking uh, out more direct traffic? Of course, we definitely are. Um, that improves your margins as a business and makes you a more healthy business overall. But um, but again, it's it's hard to take a lot from what Airbnb is doing because, frankly, we don't we don't sit in their shoes and and we're playing our own game. In terms of results, is there anything that you can share in terms of um, KPI performance or brand lift or or the program enrollment statistics? Anything that's that's sort of worth noting? Yeah, we're seeing uh, a ton of positive momentum for Expedia right now. Um, entering twenty twenty three, uh, we're up nearly seventy percent. Um, on active loyalty members uh, uh, more than any prior year. Um, our active app users are up almost 60%, which of course is something that we want to push for now and going forward. And then that's all translated to greater revenue growth. In the last quarter, I believe, we announced that Expedia in the US delivered almost 20% revenue growth in 2022. And that's compared not to last year, but to 2019, which is the last you know full healthy year that the travel category had before the pandemic. And all that's happening when most of our product innovations are still on the horizon. So um, we're thrilled with with the work we're, um, uh, the, the impact the work is having as it's going out into the world. Um, and we're we're eager to continue. Congratulations to both Expedia and Anomaly on the work. It is Marshall Ball, VP Brand Strategy, Expedia Group in Los Angeles, and Isaiah Langawe. He is a partner and chief strategy officer at Anomaly in LA. Thank you guys so much for spending time with us today. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Fergus. And we'll see everybody on the next episode.